the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Good morning. It's great to see all of you again this morning and uh, thankful to be able to continue our journey together about love, God's love, what God's love looks like. And just to be clear, I got a text last week that made me laugh out loud. I actually do like Winnie the Pooh. I don't hate Winnie the Pooh. I don't think Winnie the Pooh is a jerk. Um, I just disagreed with that one quote. (laughs) I'm actually going to start another one here because I think uh, A.A. Milne, who actually writes all of the characters' lines for them, is actually a pretty smart guy. But I like this one. I think it just takes us straight off of the high dive into where we're going today. Some people care too much. I think it's called love. Uh, Let me just give you a quick life hack here, Um, and this is not my advice to you, I'm just telling you the truth. If you want any hope of having your life be simple, if you want any hope at all of being able to control your schedule, to be able to not face a roller coaster of emotions almost every day, you need to not make many friends, you need to certainly not date anybody, or marry anybody, or have children, Uh, you really shouldn't probably even have a pet. Because love costs you everything. And God's love costs you even more. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? It's painful. It's rough. It's also what makes life worth living. But it's hard. And it's real. And that cost is there. Caring too much is what it's all about. It's going to cost you. And that's just real. Paul uh, defines God's love very clearly. We've got a graphic here you're going to see the next couple of weeks. Hopefully this will make this verse we're kind of marinating in um, even clearer. But he says that love always does certain things and it never does other things. Love is patient. It celebrates truth. It um, shelters and trusts and expects and perseveres. But love is not proud. It is not rude, it is not selfish, it is not irritable. Love does not envy or boast or hold grudges or delight in sin. Love never gives up. We'll come to that again here in a couple weeks. That, by the way, is what it means, that love never fails. Sometimes we think that 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 verse might not be true because how many of you have ever tried to love somebody and they didn't love you back? And we think, well, love did fail. No, it didn't. It wasn't your love. It wasn't God's love that failed in that situation. Are you with me on that? that that's, we'll come back to that on another time. But today what we're looking at is the part that says love is not rude. Love is not selfish. Love is not easily angered. And this is something that we all live with. This is real. How many this week, uh, don't say what it is yet, <laughs> but how many have experienced something that you, somebody else did something you thought was rude? Okay. How many this week probably did something that somebody else thought was rude? Okay. If we're honest, we're we're on both of those lists most of the time. Uh, Just, I I actually looked up what are some common pet peeves? What are some things that people tend to see as rude across cultures? Uh, So just, you don't have to be specific, but just raise your hand if any of these categories, you've got some pet peeves in that direction. Are you ready? Uh, Something to do with chewing or, or how to eat. Okay, there's some things that just, you just don't do that. Just stop, right? Or how about um, uh, making random noises, loud noises, tapping, you got some issues with how people make noise, okay? How about um, something to do with phones? 
Oh, yeah. Okay. How about something to do with driving? Oh, yeah. Something to do with being in line in any context, just being in line and how fast and how... Okay, yeah. So this is stuff we deal with on some level every single time. But the idea we need to start with here this morning is that rude, what we call rude, it assumes a standard. And the problem is that not everybody agrees on the same standards. Are you with me? I mean, the person who really can't stand loud chewing, that's fair. But the other person who's quietly eating cereal on the other side of the room like this... I'm not sure that's fair to them either. Do, do you understand what I mean? Like there's, there's kind of, we have to agree on these standards. The phrase in Greek is actually uk askenomai. And it, it literally translates out as does not act unbecomingly. It's been a while since I've heard people use the word becoming or unbecoming in common language, just common conversation. But most of us, I think, still remember what that means. It means Unbecoming is unflattering or inappropriate or unacceptable uh, or literally not according to the standards. But what we're talking about here as Christians is what we need to be worried about is that we don't violate God's standards. Let me say that one more time. As best as you possibly can, you should try not to violate your family's standards, your friend's Standards, the standards of your community. If you can, however much you can, you don't need to needlessly trample on their feelings and just be rude about it intentionally. Can we agree on that? But at the end of the day, as Christians, the standards we really need to agree on and not violate are God's. And if we accidentally can't help but offend people who don't agree with God, we just need to do that in the least offensive way possible. I hope that makes sense. One of my heroes is Rich Mullins. Uh, I heard a story from a guy named Sammy Horner who hosted him one time. Rich showed up and his only pair of shoes that he owned in the world had just gotten chewed up by a dog. So this guy, Sammy, he owned a whole bunch of boots and they were all in the corner and just lined up against the wall. And he said, hey, Rich, why don't you wear some of my boots? He goes in the other room, comes back. Rich has put on the very nicest boots in the whole lineup. They're brand new, very, very expensive. And he's sitting there and he goes, yeah, that'll do. And walks out the door and goes to his concert. I don't know about you, but that kind of, that crosses a couple of lines for me. I would never, if somebody offered, take anyone you want, I would not take the best one in the line. I don't, I, I, anyhow. <clears throat> About a year later, Sammy saw Rich at a concert and he said, so whatever happened to those boots? You're not wearing them. He goes, oh, I gave them away to some kid on the reservation. And so Sammy said, it was because of Rich Mullins that he learned to give his very best to the poor. And that's actually a really inspiring story, but there's also some rudeness in there a little bit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes it gets kind of complicated and, and that we cross lines and we're not meaning to, but... Sometimes we do. There's, the stories in the Bible are full of things like that. For example, I'm sure you've heard the story of Jesus healing the paralytic when they lower the guy down through the roof. But, but imagine the poor guy who had told Jesus that he could teach in his house. Oh, sure, you can teach in my house. I'm not sure he was expecting that his house would get so full that nobody could walk around in there. I'm not sure he was expecting that somebody would... Well, let's read it straight out. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. 
And when they had made an opening and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, of course, bed, I used to think as a kid, this was a big four poster thing and they're lowering it with chains or something. It's like a mat or something. They probably wrapped him in it or something, but they're lowering this guy down. I I don't know about you. This is a wonderful story. It's one of my favorites. What a wonderful example of faith and persistence and doing whatever it takes to bring your friends to Christ. I love this story, but at the same time, imagine you're Jesus and you're trying to teach and stuff starts falling on your head. Imagine you're the person who owns the house and you're like, what are you doing? Right? But in the middle of it, Jesus does probably the rudest thing of all. He, instead of saying, hey, you're healed right away, he brings up the guys as sinner and says, hey, I forgive all your sins. He ticks off all the Pharisees. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this. As Christians... Hear me on this. I hope this, I hope this connects. As Christians, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all list of things. These are okay always, and these are not always. This is never rude. This is always rude. I think what the secret is, we ask better questions. Instead of just trying to force each other to play by the same rules at every single minute, we have some better questions. Here, here's what I mean by that. You can... Um, You can disagree with me if you want, because some of this is my opinion, but I've gleaned it out of scripture. I think it's true. See here, common questions about how to deal with other people would be things like this. How can I make them do what I want them to do? How can I make them treat me the way I want them to treat me? Or questions like, why in the world do they do that rude thing in the first place? Those aren't necessarily evil questions, but those are questions that we just naturally ask, Christian or not Christian. But as Christians, maybe we should ask questions like, why is it that I am bothered so much by that? Are they really violating something that God ordained and I can show you verbatim in the scripture? Is that just something that just bothers me? That's a slightly better question. Or what can I do to make them comfortable? Even if they don't care about me at all, what could I do to be kinder to them? Those are better questions. Does that make sense? And the same thing in our relationship with God. Common questions about how we deal with God are things like, well, what's the bare minimum? What could I do to make sure that I'm saved, but I get to do the rest of whatever I want? That's a common question. It's not a good question, but it's common. Or why in the world does God say this is wrong? Or why in the world does God expect me to do this? What would happen if I don't? Those are common questions. Better questions would be, what can I do? What could I start today that would help me accomplish God's will in my life better? What could I stop doing today that would help me guarantee that I'm somehow within the boundaries that God has set out for me? As Christians, we're always asking questions that nobody else is asking. We're we're asking questions, and here's why. Christ followers do things like love their enemies and pray for those who try to hurt them, right? That's weird. But that is what Jesus asked us, told us we have to do. And no matter what anybody else is believing or promoting or thinking at any given time, here's what we're focused on. We're focused on the truths and the values and the goals of God himself. If anybody's writing stuff down, I just gave you three words. I'm going to say one more time. Truths, values, goals. And not just what I think is true, what God says is true. 
what God knows is true. Not just things that are values that matter to me. The values that we see very clearly, explicitly put out in the scriptures. What, what, not just goals that I personally have, but goals that we see that God has for his people and for the world. And as Christians, we're constantly asking, how can what I do today, how can what I do in response to this rude thing that somebody else is saying or doing to me, how can I act today in a way that best reveals, reflects the truths of God, the values of God? What could I stop doing in this moment? Or what could I start doing in this moment that might actually help God's goals in this world get accomplished better? Those are just better questions. Does that make sense? And when we ask those questions in the moment, it takes us out of the very normal, very human, very common temptation to just get mad. And just be selfish, even if we're justified. How many have ever legitimately been really mad about something and it really was a big deal? It's a big deal to God. It's, it's not just you. Okay, it happens. And it's not innately wrong to be upset about things. But how many, be honest, I'm raising my hand. How many have ever done something that was inappropriate because you were so mad, even if you were justified? Yeah. See, that's the thing. We ask better questions. How is how I'm responding here going to reflect the truths and the values and the goals of God himself? Common questions about how other people relate to God is even more complicated. Because in, on, on one level, it's none of our business. And on another level, Jesus has told his people to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. What are one of his highest values, one of his biggest truths that he has revealed to us about what life's all about. One of his primary goals for his people is that we help other people connect with him. But sometimes we're afraid these days more than ever that what if it's rude? What if it's selfish? What if it's just being irritable to tell somebody else that the truth really is the truth? Anybody besides me? A little nervous these days? It's hard. But again, I don't think the answer is, let's just all agree on this one little script. We got to say it this way. We got to do it this way. In those moments, we ask better questions. How can I pray for that person? Why are they so angry? Why don't they want to know God? Why are they so antagonistic against me? Is there anything that I could possibly do to be a better example? If they're, if they're so, if they think that all Christians are hypocrites, is there anything in my life as I live with this person, work with this person, that's really hypocritical? What could I do to change that? Those are better questions. See, the other thing is this. If we're going to not be rude and selfish and irritable, if we're going to ask better questions, the other thing is this. We're going to act becomingly. And for Christians, what that means is we're trying our best to follow God's standards. We're not, it's not that we don't care what anybody else thinks. It's not that we don't care. Part of, part of that, somewhere in the middle of that is we really do care what other people think. We try our best not to needlessly offend people. But at the bottom line, what we really want is that we're conforming to God's standards and that we are literally, I like this word becoming, we are literally becoming more like Jesus along the way. 
That's the dream. And all these truths, by the way, I don't know how many of you guys know our church logo and what it all represents. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning. But that's a, a lot of those truths is what that actually means. We have four strategies that we're trying to use. Uh, that's outlined on the website and several other places if you'd like to know. That's why the bird has four feathers on its wings and on its tail. Um, the idea that it's a bird, we see in scripture, birds show up in a lot of situations where people trust God and obey God in a major way and then God provides and guides them because they trust in him that much. And that's our prayer as a church. We want to do that. But in the middle of it all is that Trinity symbol that represents obviously God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it also represents every healthy relationship there will ever be. God and a husband and a wife. God and one friend and another friend. God and a Sunday school teacher in the Sunday school class. God and you and the people you work with. God and you and the person you're trying to lead to Jesus. Are you following me on this? Like that, that, in, in that little rounded triangle in the middle, that's church. That's Christianity. Where, where all of this comes together, right there in the center of all, all of it. We're, we're rooted in God and His standards. We're following Him. We're trusting. We're obeying. We're doing everything that we possibly can. We're doing our best with our best strategy to do the things we know for sure He wants us to do. When all of that comes together, that's the bullseye, that little rounded triangle. That's, that's, that's what we're headed for. Those are just good questions to be obsessed with. God really cares about our relationships. He cares how we treat each other. All the way back in the Old Testament, you see so much of that. Notice the two greatest commandments is about loving God and loving others, right? Loving your neighbor. Proverbs 6 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are abomination to him. Pay attention to this and see if you can see what's common among these. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. The first five are kind of using a metaphor of a body. The last two just straight out just says what it is. Every single one is rude, selfish behavior. Stuff that destroys relationships. That stuff that puts us first. Stuff that, that I, we, we just don't care what God or other people think we're first. God hates that. The second phrase, the idea of selfishness in this phrase in the original Greek is uzete to yutes, And it means does not seek its own things. Literally, that's what it means. Does not seek its own things. And we can be selfish in two primarily, primary ways. One is that we just don't care enough about others. And the other is that we just care a little too much about ourselves. It's not wrong to care about yourself. It's not wrong to try to have um, a healthy body, a healthy mind or whatever. It's not wrong to, to make sure your own needs get met. But sometimes we go overboard on that. Often we do. And, and, and it's, it's okay to love everybody kind of, but that's not really what God's asking us to do. In the words of Winnie the Pooh, he wants us to care too much, right? Jesus, uh, another time he was confronted by the Pharisees. He was constantly offending them, so they were constantly 
pestering him. That is a common story, threads throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 15, they confront him and his disciples for not washing their hands in a certain way. That was rude. Are you with me? They're like, you're offending us because you don't follow this rule. I love Jesus just goes straight to the jugular when he answers this one. He says, and why do you, he doesn't explain his actions. He just goes straight to it. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever um, reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. And just to make it clear, his, his history, little perspective, what's going on here is they have this tradition called Corbin. And if you didn't want to take care of your elderly family, you could make a huge donation to the synagogue very publicly and say, I have declared Corbin. And they go, okay, so you're exempt. And so then your elderly family is really struggling and you're like, Corbin. And everybody was okay with that. That was somehow socially acceptable. That was religiously acceptable. That was traditionally acceptable. People were okay with that. Well, they did the Corbin thing. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. How dare you? That's not how that works. The deeper level thing is you take care of the people that you love. You take care, you show honor to your father and your mother. Where, how did you forget all of those things when you made up that rule? Then the disciples came to him and said, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I picture Jesus going, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure that's me. That's not in the Bible. Here's what we know for sure. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they will fall into a pit. In other words, just make sure you don't follow them down that terrible road they're going. You keep following me. From Jesus' earliest teachings on, he was painting not only a, a, a new kind of picture, but a completely different perspective on everything. From, from the sermon in the, on the mount on, his first biggest sermon, he was telling us things like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Who does that? It better be Christians. We better be known for doing that. That's counterintuitive. That's inhuman almost. That's just not, it's not normal. But that is what Jesus modeled for us and that's what he asked. And not only the words of Jesus, it's very clear clear in the rest of the New Testament that his followers understood that. Let's look at some of the words of Paul here for a few moments. This is Romans uh, 16. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Notice he's not just saying Christians who rejoice or Christians who weep. He's saying anybody who rejoices, anybody who weeps. We should be known for being there for people, period. Next line is about us. Live in harmony with one another. They should be able to see that how Christians get along, how Christians work out their conflict, how Christian marriages fix themselves and stay faithful, how Christians work it all out. 
They should see that that works. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. He goes on. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Obviously, we can't totally do that. You're never going to please everybody. But again, he clarifies that, makes it clear. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He's quoting the Old Testament there. He keeps going. To the contrary, now he's quoting Jesus himself. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's read that last line together. This is the key to the whole conversation this morning. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's do that one more time. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Ephesians, Paul says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is a very clear warning, but sometimes that word sensuality, we tend to just think about sexual things. It absolutely includes them. But I I want to make sure we all collectively understand this this morning. Living sensually, giving yourself over to sensuality, what, what Paul is talking about here, what he means is your highest value becomes what you feel. Whatever looks good, sounds good, tastes good, smells good, feels good, sounds good, just makes sense to you. It's what you like. It's what you crave. You, You go by your senses. You're led around by your senses. When that becomes our highest good, when that trumps God, when that trumps the Bible, that trumps our families, that trumps anything, that's what it means to give yourself over to sensuality. He's saying we we dare not go there. Our standard has to be the unchanging, timeless standards of God, the truths and the values and the goals that just never change at all. He goes on. That is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees all the way back in the Sermon on the Mount? He said that our righteousness had to exceed theirs. Why? Because theirs was all about following rules. And Jesus' righteousness and holiness is all about actually becoming more like God. Actually being transformed to be more like him. Eventually getting to the spot where you naturally follow God's rules because you see it his way. None of us, hear me on this, none of us start there. Let's be humble. Let's be real. None of us see things God's way without his help. 
But the hope is for every human being on this planet, the hope is everybody could. If we allow him to bring us back to life in a whole new way, put his spirit inside of us, that we conform daily to his standards, we love each other, we reach out together in love, we can become like him. Eventually, we start to see things his way. Peter says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and humble mind. This morning, um, on your study sheet, if you've got it, and if you're joining us digitally, you should have access to that as well. But wherever that is, uh, and even if you don't, if you prefer putting it in your uh, phone or uh, if you've got a magic marker in your pocket, you want to write it on your arm, I don't care. But I'm asking you, please make a tangible goal this morning in two directions. One is, what kind of better question will you ask today? What kind of a better question will you ask this week? One of those better questions that I talked about, as in not so much how can I control somebody else? How can I make them walk the line? How can I make them stop doing this thing that really irritates me? But how can I handle it in a way that displays God's truths and God's values and God's goals better? Not, not so much how can I um, not offend anybody, but am I sure that I am 100% in line with God's values? And then I'll take the cost, whatever those may be. Ask some better questions this morning. Remember that it does mean that we reach out. One more Winnie the Pooh, and I'm going to give him a break after this, so you're not going to hear Winnie the Pooh all the time, but this is good too. Since you can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting on others to come to you, you've got to go to them sometimes. Jesus didn't say sometimes, he said all the time, period. Our job is to go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all of the things that he's commanded. And when we do that, that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. The other place where I need you to write something down, whether it's on that paper, wherever you do this, please What's a tangible goal? Where you, what's a strategy that you could add to your life? Some, some choice you could make, something you could stop or start that's going to help you become more becoming. It's something that you know, this helps me. When I do this consistently, it really does help me become more like Jesus. It helps me remember what's important. It helps me remember what's real. Or maybe there's something you need to stop. And maybe that thing you're, you need to stop isn't even wrong. It's not even a sin. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's just you do that all the time. You never do these other things Jesus really wants. So maybe you could not do that anymore so you have more time. However that works, especially if it's wrong. Could you come up with something this morning? Just write down in response to God. Here's how I'm going to act more becomingly. Here's my becoming strategy.